Well, uh, this morning I want to uh, just take a break from our series that we've been thinking about over these past few weeks on the unsearchable riches of Christ, and instead I want us to turn back to that passage we read from in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I think that uh, in our Christian walk as individuals, but also collectively as a, a church, it's good for us at times just to take a moment to analyse what we do. Why do we do the things that we do as Christians? Now, as Christians, we, we have the Bible, don't we? It's the Word of God, it's the truth. This is our only infallible uh, book that we use for faith and practice. And, of course, we have to test everything, don't we, against the word of God. What does God's word tell us? What does it instruct us? And this morning we're going to meet uh, around the Lord's table. We're going to share in eating bread and share in the cup together. And it's good for us to sometimes pause and ask why. Why are we, why are we doing this this morning? Why are we going to gather around the Lord's table? What's the purpose of this table? Where is the, the biblical warrant, we could ask, for performing such a practice. And I thought it would be beneficial for us this morning just to take a few moments uh, to consider this foundational passage here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where we're given clear details regarding this ordinance. It's worth just saying before we look at this passage that uh, Paul was writing to this church at Corinth and it's clear from the context of this passage that they'd begun to abuse this ordinance. They'd begun to abuse the Lord's table. And so Paul here in this chapter 11, he lays down very clearly the rules and the regulations, the pattern, the blueprint, we might say, for this institution. And so this morning I want us to consider a number of things from this passage here before us in 1 Corinthians 11. Just to say there's a lot we could say. You know, you can go on to some churches and they've done 20 series, you know, 20 sermon series just on the Lord's table. Well, we're not going to be able to cover everything this morning that this passage instructs us. But I want to just look at some of the basic aspects from this passage as we skim through uh, this portion of God's words together. And I think the first thing I want us to notice here this morning is the origination. The origination. Where does this uh, ordinance come from? Well, just turn with me to verse 23. Chapter 11, verse 23, Paul writes, For I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. Paul tells the Corinthians that this feast was not something that he had invented. He didn't, you know, decide one day when he was on his missionary endeavours that he would, uh, it'd be a good idea to celebrate and remember the death of Christ. And so he took certain things that he thought would be very applicable and would be very fitting and helpful for them. And then instituted this practice into the various churches that he went to. Now Paul makes it very clear here, this was not created and conceived by him. Nor was it pioneered by Peter or any of the other apostles. Instead, Paul makes it very clear here that the origination of this meal was from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He says, I received of the Lord. I received it from him. And Paul relays the details here in verses 23 to 25, and he refers back to that last night of Christ's 
life on earth before his death on the cross. That night when he was betrayed, as it tells us here, betrayed by Judas Iscariot, that last meal that he he ate with his disciples there in the upper room. And he refers back to that event and to the words that Christ spoke on that occasion. And he says to the people here in Corinth, there is the origination of this meal. It was Christ himself who instituted this. He is the author. He's the originator. This is, uh, I think, very important for us to remember this morning. What we're doing this morning by meeting around the table is, is not some ritual invented by a man. The early church fathers didn't come up with this. It wasn't some priest or some pope's idea. This wasn't the brainchild of somebody in the past. Now we can trace the origins of this meal right back to the upper room and to the words and the actions of our Saviour. This ordinance, you see, has the stamp of Christ's authority. And that's why Paul, back in verse 20, you'll notice there, he calls it the Lord's Supper. It's the Lord's Supper. If you go back into chapter 10 and verse 21, you'll notice there he calls it the Lord's Table. It's not Paul's table, it's not Peter's table, it's not my table this morning, it's the Lord's table. This is the Lord's Supper. And so there is the origination of this ordinance. But there's a second thing that we can notice from these words, and that's continuation. Continuation. Perhaps one question we we may ask is, is this applicable today? The Lord's Table was obviously something that the church in the New Testament practiced, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we should do it. Not everything that we read of in the New Testament, especially in the book of Acts, is normative for all churches in all times. Some things were unique, weren't they, to the life and the ministry of the apostolic church. But do notice what Paul says here again in, back in verse 23. He says, For I received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you. Paul says, I received this ordinance from the Lord, and then I simply have delivered it, I've passed it on to you. The word uh, delivered there means to sort of pass on or hand over. He had entrusted them with this ordinance. And there's this sense here of continuation. A bit like, uh, boys and girls, I'm sure you've seen athletics, the passing the baton on in the relay race. And Paul is saying, that's what I'm doing here. I'm passing the baton on. I received this from the Lord. I'm passing this on to you. This was therefore not to be administered only when there was an apostle present or when Paul was present. It was not restricted to a certain club, as it were, or even a certain time in history. But Paul is intimating in these words that this is to be practiced in all ages. This meal is to be eaten in every generation. Because you notice what he says again in verse 26. He states that ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Christ's death, he says, is to be remembered right up until that last day when he comes again in glory. That day when these these shadows here in front of us will flee away. That day when these, these symbols will never be needed again because the symbols will give way to the substance. The day when remembrance will give way to reality. And so Paul says this is a, a perpetual ordinance. It's to be carried on and on and on until Christ comes. 
And so we have every warrant this morning for meeting around the Lord's table. Paul delivered this on and it's been handed on down through the centuries. And I think, friends, this morning when you actually pause and think about it, this is a remarkable thing. Nations have come and gone. Empires have risen and have fallen. Great institutions have crumbled into, into the dust of the earth. Generation after generation has passed away. But here we are this morning still remembering the Lord's death. There's a continuation. Christ's death will be remembered until he comes again. But there's a third thing that I think that we can notice from these words, from this uh, passage that Paul brings before us this morning, and that is commemoration. Commemoration. Having noticed that this, this institution was established by the Lord himself for all generations, we might ask the question then, well, why did Christ institute it? And to answer that question, we have to turn again to this passage, and you'll see that there's a, a key word that appears in verses 24 and 25. And the key word of the passage is remembrance. Remembrance. I wonder if you noticed that word as we were reading it. Paul quotes the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says regarding both the bread and the cup that we're to do this, in remembrance, he says, of me. You'll see those words there in verse 24. This do in remembrance of me. Verse 25. As oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. And so Christ instituted this supper so that we would remember him. The key word is remember, not repeat. As Rome believes, we don't repeat the sacrifice of Christ. It's been done, it's been finished. It was a once for all sacrifice. No, we're to remember and what is it that we're to remember? Well, Christ says it here, we're to remember him. This is not a, a remembrance of our sin, but it's a remembrance of our saviour. The focus here is Christ as we come around the table. It's him. And, and we could go further than that because the focus here is not only Christ, but it's not Christ glorified, it's Christ crucified. The whole atmosphere of this ordinance is, is all around Christ's death. He didn't institute it, did he when, he, when he began his life or when he began his ministry or when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. He instituted it on that last night, it says here. The last night in which he was betrayed. It was that night when he was only a few hours away from climbing that mournful mountain of Calvary. He was only a few hours away from being crucified. And the elements that he brings before us here, the bread and the cup, they all point towards his sacrificial death. And so here then is the key to this ordinance. We're to remember. And this simple meal, is, it's a token, isn't it? It's a pledge of Christ's love to his people before his death. Sometimes you hear about this, don't you? You hear about perhaps a soldier and as they're dying, they, they take off a ring on their finger or they've got a picture in their, in their breast pocket and they take it out and they give it to, to someone and, they, and it's to give to a loved one back at home. And the person who receives that, that picture or that ring knows it's a token of love. And every time they look at that picture, they're reminded of the love of the person who's died. And Christ, on the, on the night that he was betrayed, left behind this ordinance for us as a token of his love. 
And we are his people and we're to, we're to look on at the elements and to be reminded of him. We're to be reminded of his death, reminded of his sacrifice. We're by faith to, to look at the bread and remember his body which was broken for us and bruised and was pierced. And as we, as we lift the, the cup, as it were, to our mouths, we're to remember Christ's precious blood which was shed for the remission of sins. This meal is, is for our remembrance. It's a memorial to our, our dying saviour. Every time we put out the table and we put out the elements, in a sense we're erecting a great statue to, to Christ. We're, we're erecting a monument to him to remind ourselves of him. And so when we come and we, we meet around the table, we're to remember Christ, we're to remember his sufferings and his agony and his pain and his death. We're to remember all the types and shadows that he has fulfilled we're to remember the justice of God in pouring out his wrath upon his son. We're to remember the sin that took Christ to Calvary. We're to remember the wisdom of God in, in ordaining such a glorious plan so that we could be saved. We're to remember Christ's substitution that we were thinking about only a few weeks ago. That Christ stood in our place. We're to remember his imputation that he became sin for us. So that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And of course, as we said, we're to remember his love, that enormous love of the Saviour. A love that's so unutterable, so inconceivable, that every time that we gather in this way, it should melt our hearts. And our tears, they should flow and they should flow until we could, as it were, cry no more. And yet we have to confess, don't we, that so often we're so slow, so often we're so forgetful of what Christ has done. Too often our, our memories are clouded and our, our recollections are scant and they're so small. We have so small thoughts of Christ. And other things, don't they, come and flood our minds. But this is why Christ has given it to us. To stir up our memories. To stir up our love so that we would respond in love. This is no cold, formal remembrance. This is, a, this, is a, this is no like just remembering an event from the past, or I did this last week, or I did that a year ago. No, this is a, a remembrance of affection and love. It's a remembrance of the hearts. It's to remind us of what he has done for us and to rekindle that love within us. So that we might call to mind that our Lord Jesus Christ, all that he underwent for us in becoming our Redeemer. Friends, this morning, this is the central purpose of this meal, so that we might remember him. There's commemoration, but there's a fourth thing that we could say this morning, that's proclamation. Proclamation. Because there is another purpose to this meal. And you notice this, what Christ says in verse 26, as Paul quotes his words there. Verse 26, he says, For often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. And those words there, do show, literally the word is to preach. It's the same word that's often translated that way, to preach or to proclaim. It means to announce broadly. It means to, you know, proclaim like that town crier. And so the Lord says every time that you have this meal, you are preaching. You are proclaiming Christ and his death. And I think this is a very important aspect of this ordinance because there's an aspect to this meal that is preaching the gospel and it's convicting sinners. 
as the elements are distributed, as the, as the bread goes out, as the cup is passed by onto people, those who are outside of Christ is being preached to. That's why I think it's important generally to make the Lord's Supper part of an ordinary service of the church. It's good for non-Christians to watch on. I remember as a, as a child watching the elements pass by is convicting. I'm not someone who can take this. Why can't I take this? Why can't I partake in this simple meal? And it convicts you. It's proclaiming Christ. And this morning as we meet around the table, in a sense, we're having another sermon. It's this time it's a sermon in action. And it's preaching to us. And if you're not a believer this morning, as the elements pass by you, you will listen to what's, will you listen to what's being proclaimed? Will you listen to the fact that Christ died for your sins? Will you see something of what that his blood was shed so that you might be cleansed of all your sin? Will you listen to this sermon this morning if you're not a Christian? Will you even come and trust and believe in him, the one who was crucified and died and was buried and rose again so that you could be forgiven? There's a sense then that this meal this morning is proclaiming, preaching Christ. There's something else, though, that we can look at here this morning, and that's instruction. Instruction. The apostle gives us very clear details as to what happened on that night that Christ was betrayed. And uh, he gives the instructions, and he lays down for us a pattern of what we are to do. And we, we're told, for example, that there's two very basic elements. You notice that there's, a bre- there's bread and there's a cup. We're told that before Christ then distributed them, that he gave thanks before each of them. With the bread, he told that he broke it. We then read that Christ uh, gave instructions uh, concerning both the elements. Before the bread, he says, take, eat. Before the cup, he tells them to drink this. As often as you drink it, he says. And the disciples who were present then ate and they then drank. And so here is the pattern that we are to follow. Paul lays this pattern out so clearly. So this morning we're going to have these two basic elements. We're going to have bread. We're going to have the cup. We'll have the bread first. And the bread will be broken. And we will pray before we partake and eat of the bread. And we'll read these words that Christ proclaimed. Then we'll have the cup. And again we'll pray, we'll give thanks for the cup. And then we'll read these words of the Saviour. And we will follow this simple pattern as we drink It's a very simple pattern that Paul lays out for us here, but we're to follow it. And you'll notice too how how gloriously simple it is. There's such a wonderful simplicity to this. This isn't something long, it's not convoluted, it isn't complicated, nor is it mysterious or mystical. I'm not going to wave my hands this morning over the elements and and say something in, in another language. I'm not going to pretend that something magical is taking place. No, this is a simple meal. It's so simple so that we're not distracted from the purpose of remembering our Saviour. And we have to thank the Lord that he's given us such clear instructions to follow so that we might, in simplicity, remember our Saviour. There's something else, though, that we can say and note this morning, and that's representation. Representation. When Christ... Uh, speaks about these elements, about the bread and the cup. He uses symbolic language. We need to be very careful to note this. He shows us 
that the elements represent something. He says the bread, he speaks about the bread, this is my body. It symbolizes his body which was broken. The cup or the wine symbolizes his blood which was shed. They're not actually his body and his blood. They do not become his body and blood. As we sit down to eat, they don't actually become part of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they are tangible symbols to help us remember Christ's death and his sufferings. And so as we eat the bread and as we drink the cup, we're being not only reminded of of Christ's death, but as we eat them, we're being reminded that we feed on Christ by faith. That we feed on him for our life and for our salvation. Of course, this is something that we do, in a sense, uh, day by day as Christians. We feed on him. But here at the table, it's intensified. Because we have these very tangible symbols in, in front of us, in our hands, in our mouths. And the symbols remind us that it's Christ who nourishes our souls. It's Christ who feeds us and sustains us spiritually. And so as we sit down... In a few moments' time, as we eat that bread, we're being reminded it's Christ who feeds us day by day on our spiritual life and pilgrimage. We could add something else, though, here this morning, and that's communion. Communion. As we sit down to uh, partake of this meal, as we said, as we feed symbolically on the Lord Jesus Christ, as we share this communion with him, But at the same time as we share communion with Christ, we also are being reminded that we have communion with one another. In the scriptures, sitting and eating a meal together was often a picture of joy, but it's also a picture of fellowship and unity. Sharing food together, eating with one another. Paul speaks of this back in chapter 10. He speaks about this communion. Just turn back with me to chapter 10 and verse 16. He even calls it this. Verse 16, he says, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? You notice what he says in verse 17, For we being many are one bread and one body, for we are all partakers of that one bread. And so Paul is reminding us here of this unity and communion that we have with one another. We share this meal together. We eat and drink together. We should note then that this ordinance is is not to be performed by individuals. This is for the local church. This is for a, a company of people. It's a meal to be sat and enjoyed together. This is not for organizations, but it's for the local church. A body of believers come together and we sit and we have communion with each other. And we're displaying to the world our unity. Our unity in Christ as we symbolically feed on him and remember him together. We have to say, don't we, that this is unity only between believers. This meal is only for those who belong to Christ, who are part of the body of Christ. It's for those who've been born again of the Spirit. It's only for those who've repented of their sin and trusted Christ for salvation. You should also note, if you follow the pattern of Scripture, that all those who sat and ate at the table were always baptised before as well. And so let me say to you, if you're not a believer here this morning, this meal is not for you. 
when we come to it in a few moments' time. If you're not a Christian, let the elements pass in front of you. You don't have to be embarrassed about it. Just let them pass by. But this meal is only for those who know the Lord, in fellowship with the Lord, who are trusting the Lord, who are part of that body of Christ, in communion with him. But for those of you who do know the Lord, this is a symbol of our unity together, of our communion with one another, as we have communion with Christ. There's one final thing that I want us to notice this morning, one final point, and that's examination. Examination. Just look at what Paul says in verses 27 and following. He says, whosoever, they says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man, he says, examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. So here at the end, Paul exhorts us to examine ourselves. Are we walking closely with the Lord? Is there unrepented sin in our hearts? Is there perhaps someone here who's going to meet around the table this morning and yet there's somebody else in this building that you've quarrelled with and you've never yet come and confessed your sin and repented of your sin and, and, and made up with that believer? Paul says self-examination is needed before we come to the table. It's needed to ensure that we do not eat, he says, in an unworthy manner. If we do, we shall be guilty of the, of the body and the blood of the Lord, he says. And so, friends, this morning as we come to the table, spend a few moments examining yourself. If there's lingering sin in your heart, Paul instructs you not to eat, not to drink. Paul tells us here that there's very serious consequences. We haven't time to look at these verses this morning. But the point is this, we need to examine ourselves. We need to repent of our sin before we come to the table. And my time's gone this morning, but as we come, and I trust as we come around the table in a few moments, may the Lord help us as we seek to remember Christ and remember his death, particularly at Calvary.